The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Our scripture for today is Matthew seven, fifteen through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. This is the word of the Lord. God. So if you haven't already, I do invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, where we are uh, at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is lovingly confronting us with four images. And I, I say lovingly because this is coming from his heart. He's just laid out for us in the Sermon on the Mount a massive call for us to follow him and to enter into the way of life in his kingdom, true life. And he wants us to follow him. And so he lovingly confronts us. I say confronts because each of these four images has two things, two things that we have to choose between. Last week, we looked at the first image where Jesus showed us two ways, and we must take one. We can't not. We must take one. He showed us the uh, easy way that leads to destruction, and he showed us the hard way that leads to life. And this week, where he goes next, is actually quite logical following on the heels of that image. Jesus, this week, is going to use the image of two trees. Uh, Two trees to reveal to us two different kinds of teachers. Teachers who will try to shepherd you down one of those ways. This is why this logically follows on the heels of what he said last week. Jesus has been laying out, he has been teaching us throughout the Sermon on the Mount how to walk in the wise way, the the way that is hard, but yes, it leads to life. And now he is warning us, there will come other teachers who will try to shepherd you in the the, the wide way that ends in destruction. There are two teachers kinds of teachers. And we will, we will follow one. And so the question becomes, how are we going to know which one's which? Like how in our lives, in your life, how are you going to distinguish between authors, pastors, preachers, teachers, prophets, all these people that claim to speak on behalf of God, an audacious thing, I don't know why anyone would ever dare to try and do it, Lord have mercy. James 3.1 keeps me up at night. Not many of you should become teachers because do you not know that teachers will be judged with a stricter judgment? I take that very seriously. How can we distinguish between true teachers and false ones? When I was, uh, when I was 15 years old, I got my first uh, real job at Putt-Putt Golf and Games. Uh, and I loved um, working the register especially when anyone would give me a a large bill, like a bill in a large denomination, because it meant I got to use my counterfeit marker. 
which I thought was the coolest thing. It was just, when you make a little mark on the bill, and depending on what color it turns, you can tell whether or not it's a real bill, bill or a, a fake one. In our text this morning, Jesus is giving us a counterfeit marker. He's, he's giving us a way to tell whether or not a teacher is false. Because it's not always easy to just see which ones are false and which ones are true. That's precisely what he says in the very first verse of our passage. Look at it, Matthew 7 and verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. False prophets or false teachers. The New Testament virtually uses those terms interchangeably. For example, 2 Peter 2.1, which will be an important scripture for us this morning, it says, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. So false prophets, false teachers, and the problem that we get in both of these texts we just looked at with false prophets and false teachers is you can't always tell they're false. At least not at first. Is that not what 2 Peter just said to us? They secretly, secretly bring in destructive heresies. Is that not the same thing that Jesus is saying right here in Matthew 7 and verse 15? They're wolves, but they're in sheep's clothing. Like in other words, externally, they look like sheep. That's an Old Testament image that God would often use to describe his people. They were like the sheep of his flock. In other words, false teachers often look like they belong to the flock of God's people, but secretly, internally, they're wolves. We've seen this theme all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, have we not? The external versus the internal, and that these things often do not line up just because you look one way externally does not mean that's what's really going on internally. And Externally, these false teachers, they look like Sheep. But internally, they are wolves. Matthew says they are ravenous, ravenous wolves. In other words, what he's stressing is that they are not there to feed the flock of God's people. No, they are there to feast on the flock of God's people, to feed themselves, which is precisely why Jesus says, beware. Prosuko, beware. Pay attention. It's a command. Be, be on alert, look, look out. This is a command, and it's a command that we are meant to keep as a community. I know that because the command is in the plural. We are to beware together. We're to protect one another. Guard this flock that we call Shades Valley Community Church. Guard one another from wolves that would love to feast on this flock. So for the rest of this morning, we just need to ask Jesus how. How do, how do we do that? How, how do we tell the difference between true and false teachers? Can Jesus give us a counterfeit marker? It's precisely what he does in verses 16 to 20 so that we as a community might follow this loving command to be where. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through this passage let him hand us this counterfeit marker, and then I want us to step back and talk about how do we practically use it. How, how do we practically obey this command as a community to be where? 
All right, that's the plan. Here we go. Let's walk through the passage. Verse 16, read it with me. You will recognize them, false teachers, who are wolves hiding in sheep's clothing. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In other words, don't plants bear fruit according to their nature? According to what they really are? Like, I don't care what it looks like externally. In Israel, uh, New Testament scholar D.A. Carson points out that there were thorn bushes that would bear these little black berries that from a distance could look like grapes. And there were thistle plants that would flower and bloom and look like they were about to bear figs. It's as if Jesus is saying, I don't care what things look like from a distance. These plants are going to bear fruit in keeping with their nature, what they really are. Verse 17, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. To help us recognize, see how we're going to recognize false teachers, wolves in sheep's clothing, Jesus changes the image. He changes it right here to one of two trees. We've got a healthy tree and we've got a diseased tree. But they look the same, like externally. They, they both look fine. So how are you going to tell? How are you going to tell which one is actually healthy and which one is actually diseased? Jesus says you're going to tell by their fruit. You can do this with my garden. I've got a little raised bed garden thing going on at home, and I've got some awesome-looking plants, but they're all starting to bear fruit, and it's very sad. The fruit is revealing what is on the inside, and that apparently I have done something wrong. It's probably the pH level in the soil or something. That's what I keep telling myself. Anyway, healthy tree. It's going to bear good fruit. Disease tree, bad fruit. Because plants bear fruit according to their nature. So do false teachers. You will recognize them by their fruits. Great! Awesome. What does that mean? Like in that metaphor, Jesus, what's the fruit? What is it that I'm actually looking for because here's the deal i think when we first hear this metaphor we think that fruit equals actions it's like bearing good fruit means doing good actions bearing bad fruit means doing bad actions but that cannot be we know that cannot be what jesus means both because of what he has already said and what he is about to say he's he's already said false prophets are like wolves in sheep's clothing externally they look like sheep they look great their actions look like the actions of sheep that's why they are able to deceive if they are a tree then their external actions are making them look healthy the fruit is precisely what we need to see that their actions are actually false I think that's clear in what he's already said. And not just in what he's already said, I think it's clear in what he's about to say. Look at the very next verse, verse 18. A healthy tree cannot, cannot, it's not in accord with its nature. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. If fruit equals actions, then Jesus is saying a good tree, a true teacher, cannot do bad 
actions. Shades, I'm just here to tell you that would mean I am not a true teacher. Just, just ask my family. I still sin. Further, if fruit equals actions, then Jesus would be saying that a false teacher, a disease tree, a false teacher, cannot do good actions. We know that's not the case. The primary example throughout the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus has given us of false teachers, disease trees, has been the Pharisees. And they precisely do all the right actions. Like shades, fruit cannot simply be actions because actions are precisely what might make a tree seem healthy externally. Fruit is what reveals the reality of what's going on internally. So what is it? What is that fruit? I think we get some help from Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 to 10. In Matthew chapter 3, we get the words of John the Baptist to the Pharisees. And there he starts talking about fruit. And I think that these passages mutually illuminate one another because they are quite literally tied together. Jesus quotes exactly from the words of John the Baptist. Go home and compare it. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 10, and then right here, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 19. They're the exact same thing. Jesus is quoting John the Baptist. And if we go back to Matthew chapter 3, when John the Baptist is rebuking the Pharisees, in verse 8, he tells the Pharisees this. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, bear fruit. Live a life that displays the internal reality of a repentant heart. A dependent heart. A repentant heart is a dependent heart because a repentant heart is a heart that is turned from trusting in oneself to depending upon God, trusting in him. A repentant heart is not a prideful, self-centered heart that lives for its own glory. No, it is a humble, Christ-centered heart that lives for his glory. Shades, what is the fruit? It is a life, not just actions. It includes actions, but it's more than that. It's, it's actions, it's attitudes, it's affections. All of these things combined to reveal our true allegiance. It's, it's the whole of your life displaying the reality of repentance that you have indeed turned from self and to Christ. Now, now we can see why a healthy tree... Someone who has truly repented, turned to Christ, embraced him. Now we see why they cannot bear bad fruit. Good fruit is a repentant life. Bad fruit is an unrepented life. We see why a healthy tree cannot bear the bad fruit of unrepentance. Because when someone truly belongs to Christ, even when they sin, they will, even if it takes a minute, they will be drawn back to him in repentance. That's one of the works of the Spirit in our life. Today, Pentecost Sunday, celebrate the fact that the Spirit dwells in all those who truly belong to Jesus. One of the jobs of the Spirit is to convict us of sin and bring us to repentance, to constantly be drawing our hearts back to Jesus. You truly belong to him. That is a reality. The fruit 
of their life, of the true teacher's life, is a pattern of repentance. A pattern of humbly turning away from sin and self and turning to Christ. They can't do otherwise. It's the Spirit of God dwells in them, and they truly love and know Christ. A healthy tree cannot bear the bad fruit of refusing to repent forever. I mean, this is why in Matthew chapter 18, when Jesus gives us instructions about how to come alongside one another when someone sins, he says, you come alongside a brother or sister when they're in sin, and you you plead with them to repent and you go again and you take more people and you take more and you're going through this loving process to bring them to repentance. If they ultimately always refuse to repent, Jesus says at the end of that, you've got to treat them like an unbeliever because you cannot affirm the reality of the Spirit's work in their heart. A healthy tree cannot bear the bad fruit of refusing to repent. And now, now we can see why a diseased tree cannot bear good fruit. Because when someone does not truly belong to Jesus, they don't return to him in repentance because they never came to him in repentance in the first place. The fruit and the pattern of their life is not repentance. It's a pattern of rebellion against Christ, even if externally they look good. They're like the Pharisees. That's all about their own glory and not about Jesus's. And any time that that is tried to be challenged or shifted, they rebel against Christ. They, the pattern of their life when they are caught in sin is one of ignoring, excusing, or hiding sin, not repenting of it. It's a, it's a pattern of pridefully protecting oneself and one's own glory instead of repenting, which actually ends up glorifying Christ. A diseased tree cannot do otherwise because they do not truly love Jesus, shades, this is the fruit. This is the fruit of one's life. The fruit of one's life is not just external actions. No, it's actions, affections, attitudes, all added together, revealing one's true allegiance. The Pharisees couldn't do what John the Baptist challenged them to do. They couldn't bear fruit in keeping with repentance because their allegiance was to themselves. They were diseased trees. And, and though externally, that may not have been obvious at first, eventually they would bear fruit that revealed their true nature internally. And that's why Jesus concludes in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 20, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. In other words, here, now I have equipped you. I've equipped you with the counterfeit marker know how to tell the difference so now you can follow my command my initial command to beware be alert pay attention Jesus is saying i've shown you shades we've we've all seen how it is that we are to tell the difference and now i've got i want us to step back and ask what does this look like practically for us is if we're called as a community to obey this command Beware. Jesus has shown us how to beware. What does that look like practically? I've got four things. Four things of what it means to beware. Number one, don't be deceived by grand external actions. How are we going to beware? 
as a community? Number one, don't be deceived by grand external actions. So I know that many of you listen to the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Uh, if you did not, um, it is a tragic story of how arrogant and abusive church leadership was excused, uh, ignored, or even hidden. And all because big, grand things were happening. Big, grand things were being done for God. And so surely, those ends justified whatever means it took to bring them about. It's, it's a tragic story, Shades, because it is a common one. We, the modern Western church, we are easily deceived by grand external actions. We we easily buy into the wisdom of the world in what it means for something to be successful. It means it's big, flashy, grand. It looks impressive. The wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. His kingdom is not big, grand, and flashy, and impressive. No, it's like a mustard seed shades. It's like a little bit of leaven in a lump of bread. We are easily deceived by grand external actions like powerful preaching and dynamic personalities. These are even the things we look for in our pastors. But here's the deal, Shades. In the very next passage right here in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 22, you can look down at it. Jesus says that there are going to be many who call him Lord, who even prophesy in his name, cast out demons in his name, do many mighty works, grand external actions in his name. But he says they don't actually know him. He calls them workers of lawlessness and says that they will ultimately be condemned because none of those big grand external actions are the fruit that reveals the health of the tree. Shades, we must not be deceived by grand external actions. Don't be deceived by public speaking talent. Don't be deceived by the number of followers an influencer has or the huge crowds that attend a certain event. Don't be deceived by an author's way with words. Don't be deceived by degrees and PhDs or any other kind of pedigree. Don't be deceived by grand external actions. No, instead, pay attention to true internal affections. That's number two. What does it mean to be where? For us as a community, we've got to pay attention, not deceived by these big grand external things, but pay attention to true internal affections. And here's the deal. This takes work because like fruit from a tree, this might not be observable immediately. It takes a while to see somebody's true internal affections come to light. It takes a while for a plant to produce fruit. But it does over time. And someone's true internal affections are always revealed over time. Typically not through what they do that's big and flashy. No, true internal affections, those being revealed, usually it happens through the small and the messy. It happens through the small. In other words, true internal affections, they, they, they come out, for instance, in a leader's attitude. 
especially when they are being challenged? And how do they respond? It, are they humble or arrogant? It, it comes out in a leader, a teacher's integrity. In other words, are, are they the same in private as they are in public? It takes time to see that. It, it, it comes out in their ultimate aim. Is their ultimate aim to feed Christ's sheep? Is their ultimate aim the health of the sheep? Or is their ultimate aim to feast upon the sheep in order to feed their own ego? Will, will they sacrifice themselves for the glory of Christ and the good of his people? Or will they sacrifice his people, the sheep, for the good and glory of themselves? Shays, I... Uh, I don't know how many of you read the results of the SBC's sexual abuse investigation. Um, it's 288 pages. I, I, I could barely stomach the summaries at the beginning. And I don't bring it up to point a finger at the SBC. I bring it up to warn us that the problems that are revealed there are problems everywhere. And among the problems that the report brings to light, one specifically is a pattern of protecting abusive pastors and leaders. All under the, the banner, under the guise of protecting the mission of Christ. Because if the abuse was brought to light, then that would hurt the mission. Shades, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Bringing abuse to light, protecting sheep from wolves, doesn't hurt the mission of Christ. It's part of the mission of Christ. John 10, 11, he is the good shepherd who lays down his life to protect the sheep. A hired hand is the one that doesn't do that. Hired hand runs when the wolf comes, protects themselves. False teacher, hired hand. Christ protects the sheep. When, when we protect the sheep, it reflects what Jesus himself does. It doesn't hurt the mission of Christ. It puts it on display. It glorifies him. And it's for the good of his sheep. Covering up abuse Protecting abusers is helping wolves dress up like sheep. It is sacrificing sheep for the good and the glory of oneself. That damages the mission of Christ. That's what 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 says. It says, it is because of false teachers who prey upon the sheep, it is because of them that the way of truth will be blasphemed. Covering up abuse is not protecting the mission. That's protecting me. I don't, I don't care. I don't care what kind of grand external actions any organization, church, denomination, pastor, I don't care what kind of grand results, external actions they can point to. If this is what you're doing, then it reveals true internal affections. It's fruit that reveals false prophets, preachers, pastors, teachers. Shade, you want, you want to see 
the fruit, true prophets, true pastors, true shepherds, they bear fruit that looks like Christ. In other words, they don't sacrifice the sheep for the good of themselves. That's not what Jesus does. They sacrifice themselves for the good of the sheep because that's what Jesus does. And Jesus did it with joy, Hebrews 12, 2. And so do they. They sacrifice themselves for the good of the sheep. They consider their lives as nothing. This is Paul. This is what Paul said. I consider my own life as nothing to me as long as I may finish the course that God has called me to. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Sacrifice myself for the good and the glory of Christ and the good of his church, the good of his sheep. And they do it with joy. They do it while putting on display the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I'm not saying that a true teacher does that perfectly because I hope I'm a true teacher and I am far from perfect in any of that. But here's the deal. When you see me fail to display that fruit, you should, you should see me not ignore it or excuse it or hide it, but humbly repent of it. And if you don't, fire me. Shades, this is the fruit that displays true internal affections. We've got to pay attention to it. It's not big and flashy. It's small and it's messy. It's messy because you've got to get close up to see it. It's messy because you've got to get close up to see it. This is, a, this is one of the reasons I'm such a big believer in small, up-close local ministry can you get close enough to your pastors to see that you aren't being deceived to see the kind of fruit we're talking about if you're here visiting not from shades ask yourself can you get close enough to your pastors to see that you are not being deceived if you're here and you are from shades are you getting close enough to your pastors to see that you are not being deceived this is this is the problem when people are pastored by a podcast preacher or pastored primarily by an author or they're pastored primarily by some social media influencer is you have no way of knowing whether or not you are being deceived. You cannot get close enough to see the fruit of that person's life. Are you being pastored, shepherded by someone where you can get close enough to see whether or not you're being deceived? And even if you're not close enough to them, can you at least get close enough to other leaders, other elders that you know personally, you trust personally, because you see the fruit of their lives, and you know that their priority will never be to protect another pastor, but to protect Christ's flock? Are you close enough to see that, that there's accountability Close enough to see you're not being deceived by grand external actions. Close enough to pay attention to true internal affections. Shades, we've got to do that. We've got to do that because of number three. Number three, take responsibility as a community. What does it look like to follow this command of Jesus to beware? Looks like taking responsibility, not being deceived by external actions, grand external actions, paying attention to true internal affections, and it looks like taking responsibility as a community. We've already talked about the fact that Christ's command right here to beware, it's a communal command. 
We have a responsibility as a community to protect the sheep in this flock from predatory wolves. And here's the deal. That responsibility, it absolutely starts with the pastors and elders at this church. Absolutely, it starts there. Hebrew, you want to talk about another passage that keeps me up at night? Hebrews 13 and verse 17, which says that we pastors and elders will give an account to God for the flock that's been entrusted to us, the flock of Shades Valley Community Church. We, we, this starts, this responsibility starts with us. First and foremost, we have to be holding one another accountable to make sure that we are not predatory false teachers ourselves. But then beyond that, we are to lovingly protect this body from false teachers. I told you earlier, um, I, I was talking about the problem with uh, primarily being pastored by authors or social media influencers or podcasts. It's not that you can't use these things. By all means, use these different means. But do you have a pastor who you know loves you and you see the fruit of their life who can come alongside you and help you think through the things that are assisting and shepherding your heart? Do you trust a distant source whose fruit of their life you do not know more than you trust the fruit of the life of someone you're able to observe. It is our job, one of the primary jobs listed all throughout the New Testament of elders is to protect the body. That responsibility starts with us as church leaders, but it doesn't end there. It does extend to all of us as a body. That's what we see right here in Matthew 7. This command to beware, it's a command that's given not just to church leaders, it's given to the whole of the Christian community. And, and Shades, I've got, this morning, I've got for you one very practical way that we as a body can step into this responsibility. One very practical way that every last one of us can be involved in taking responsibility as a community to protect one another. You've heard me probably over the past couple of years talk about an organization called GRACE. It's an acronym. It's a mouthful. It stands for Godly Response to Abuse in a Christian Environment. This is an organization that does training, education, policy development. They do independent investigation, but they do all of this to help with abuse prevention and abuse response, most specifically in Christian and in churches and in Christian schools and organizations. Uh, Susan Sexton brought them to our attention a couple of years ago, and she has been graciously and beautifully leading the charge and us working with grace. They've already come as an organization and done training with our leadership here on abuse prevention and abuse response. They are currently working with our policy team to develop new and good policies of best practices to prevent abuse, especially of the, the most vulnerable amongst us in our community, our children. They're... They're developing policies to promote transparency and accountability amongst leadership. And I want you to know, we, the leadership, we welcome this. Because our priority is the protection of the sheep. And Shades, we don't have the date perfectly nailed down, but we believe it's going to be Saturday, August the 20th. Go on and pencil it on your calendar. This August, Saturday, August the 20th, Grace is going to come as an organization to do a training with our entire body, all of us, to further equip us to help prevent abuse and to know how to respond legally and theologically 
in a way that honors Christ and helps victims. They're going to come and further train us to recognize wolves dressed like sheep. They're going to, they're going to come fill our counterfeit marker with ink. Be here, shades. Come. Be, this is one way that we can lovingly take responsibility as a community. We can learn more together about how to not be deceived, but to pay attention and be better equipped to protect one another from predatory persons, including predatory pastors. Shades, I don't know how anyone, after you listen to a podcast like The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, after you read something like the SBC report on abuse, I don't know how anyone trusts a pastor ever again. This has got to be one way that, that helps to build that kind of trust within a community where trust is necessary. Come, participate in this. We want to know how to recognize in this community false prophets, preachers, leaders, and teachers. Let's lovingly take responsibility as a community. And as we do, as we do, let's do number four. Trust ultimately in God's sovereignty. Trust ultimately in God's sovereignty. I told you there are four things that Jesus' command to beware practically means for us as a community. It means beware, don't be deceived by grand external actions. It means beware, pay attention to true internal affections. It means beware, take responsibility as a community. And if we stop right there, then I think that that command might leave us feeling overwhelmed. Anxious, like, like everything depends on us, which is why we must see that beware also means trust. Trust ultimately in God's sovereignty. And I say ultimately to clarify that God's sovereignty and trusting in it does not eliminate us taking the actions we've already discussed. It doesn't eliminate those. It undergoes, undergirds, all of them as the foundation for our trust. The foundation for our trust that ultimately protecting the flock of God does not ultimately depend upon us. No, ultimately we believe, we trust that the protection of all of God's sheep depends on the great sovereign shepherd who will not fail his flock. See that promise with me right here in our text. Look at verse 19. It's the only verse we skipped to come back to it now. Matthew 7 and verse 19, Jesus gives this ultimate promise. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's an eschatological promise. In other words, it's a promise that has to do with the end. Jesus is promising that he will deal with every diseased tree. Every wolf in sheep's clothing will be fleeced and exposed. Every false prophet and teacher and pastor that has ever used their power and position not to feed the sheep, but to feast on them. Jesus promises they will be like a tree cut down and thrown into the fire. And this is the gentlest of judgment images that Jesus, is, Jesus ever uses. Jesus doesn't play with those who would abuse his sheep. In, in Matthew in Matthew 18, go read Matthew 18. He says that, a, here's another judgment image that he uses. He says that a day will come when those who abuse and cause little ones to stumble would rather have a millstone hung around their neck and be cast into the sea than to have to face the reality of his judgment. 
His judgment, which I think 2 Peter, a key text we've gone back to multiple times, I think 2 Peter 2 describes most vividly. Let me read you the whole thing. False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, theological abuse, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, sexual abuse. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you. Material abuse, prosperity gospel stuff. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. Shades, to every false prophet, pastor, teacher, I say on the authority of the risen Christ, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Judgment is coming. And to all of Jesus' sheep, I say, rest in this. Your defender is not asleep. Christ is not idle. I know in the midst of every abuse you have ever faced, it has seemed that way. But there is coming a day when the God who took on flesh, Jesus, the ultimate true prophet, pastor, and teacher, he came and he entered into your pain. He took on all of the world's abuse, wrestled it down into a tomb, and left it there, rising victoriously for you. And that Jesus has promised you that there is a day coming when his justice wins and every abuse and abuser ends. A a day when Christ himself will take every abusive wound you've ever suffered and he will heal all wounds, not by ignoring, excusing, or hiding them, but by redeeming and transforming them like the wounds in his old hands, in his own hands. They will all be a testimony to his victory. But until that day shades, we must beware. We must be where may we clearly see the, the two trees and recognize which one's healthy and which one's diseased by its fruit. Shades, let's not be deceived by grand external actions. Let's pay attention to true internal affections. Let's take responsibility as a community and ultimately let's trust in our God's sovereignty. Let's do all of this for the good of the flock and the glory of our shepherd. We pray these things in his name. Amen.